I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back to the Junkyard Dogcast, everybody. I'm Jake Rowe with Dogs 24-7. With me, Kip Adams, Rusty Mansell, also of Dogs 24-7. And uh, it's Georgia-Florida week. Huge week for Georgia fans, huge week for Florida fans, especially for South Georgia folks. I I grew up down there. Huge weekend. RVs headed down that way all week. Folks going and staying in St. Simon, Sea Island, Amelia Island. It doesn't matter. Just a massive weekend. Game got extended a couple of years as far as the contract goes into uh, 2023 earlier this week, possibly up to 2025. And uh, this is a big one. This one has a lot of ramifications, probably as many ramifications uh, for the SEC East and nationally as it has in a while. And uh, we're going to jump right into it. We're going to talk this Georgia-Florida game. We're going to talk about kind of what happened this past week in college football. And uh, we're going to talk about what Georgia needs to do to win this game. And uh, Rusty, uh, I'm going to th- toss it to you first, man. Uh, overall thoughts on this Georgia-Florida game? Quick hitter, let me have it. Let me, let me. I'll, I always give you a curveball, so let me throw one right back at both of you. Is this the most important game under Kirby Smart that wasn't played in Mercedes-Benz? I mean, I'll go first. Yeah, I mean this one's huge. This one's huge for the trajectory of the program. I'm not saying that Georgia loses this one. It's all downhill from here, but if you want to maintain that that respect, that that um that shine that Georgia has had preseason, the last couple of years, and all the uh, this is a a lot of capital will be spent if Georgia loses this game for sure. Yep, I think it's clear. I mean, since Kirby Smart came to Georgia, Georgia has been the program to stu- discussed nationally as being the team that can most stand up to Alabama, but more than that, just really the team that can continuously get to that SEC championship game from the East, consistently be that top program from the East. And and that's really been that main goal, Kirby Smart said. You know, we get in the SEC championship game, we are playing into the playoffs. That's the whole goal. You get to the college football playoffs through Atlanta, and and so if if Georgia loses this game, they're going to be basically on the outside looking in as far as being able to to represent the East again and continue winning that East division. So I, I think obviously, like Jake said, for the trajectory of the program right now, this is kind of where, you know, we're going to see if it's pointed up or pointed down overall as far as Kirby Smart's you know, the national perception of, of where he has Georgia going. They've talked about recruiting, you know, the how he has kind of, you know, cranked it up a notch. But on the field, the results, you know, it's all going to be pointing to this game and, and seeing if, if Florida, if their arrows, you know, pointed up, 
is Georgia's pointed up more than Florida's is, or is Georgia kind of, you know, are they kind of coming back down to earth a little bit? And it's something that, you know, if they come out of this game with a loss, this offseason is going to be a long one for Kirby Smart. They're going to have to, you know, do a lot of, of, of self-scouting, something he says they always do. But, I mean, he's really going to have to look in the mirror and see, you know, kind of what can be improved moving forward because, you know, every team has injuries, every team has adversity, but this team is still equipped and talented enough to where, you know, it should be that best team in the East this season. You know, I, I look at this too, and if you look from 2017, 2018, 2019, as the roster has gotten better, here's what it looks like as of right now. And and there are five games left and things can change, right? But 2017, you're a, a second and 26 stop or, or, or something, you know, in that neighborhood of, of possibly winning a national ch- title and you've got an SEC championship under your belt. 2018, lose an SEC championship game, lose a Sugar Bowl. 2019, loses a three-touchdown favorite at home to an unranked team, a team that I think is three and five now. And if you don't do some correcting in the final five games, again, I'm not one of these people that thinks, oh, man, Georgia's got to beat Florida or it's everything trends downhill. I'm talking about perception here. And Georgia's got a ditch to jump over here and a ditch of, ditch that dug itself by not coming out ready to play or playing its best game against South Carolina because the way this looks right now is that as Georgia's roster's gotten better, the Bulldogs haven't as a team on the football field, and that's very, very important and, and something that I think some people are going to start to really point out and harp on uh, if they don't win this game. But, Rusty, initial question – what are your thoughts on this game? Kind of you're you know hitting the high spots going in. Yeah, I mean I, I agree with both of you guys. I think this is this is this is an as important an important game as it gets for Kirby Smart for all those reasons. Um, you know we're going to talk about this more and more, but I, I really did some kind of research a little bit. Looked into both teams. I looked into kind of watched a little bit of Florida on YouTube, some games. You know people may not want to hear this. But I think this is a game where Georgia is going to want to out-physical Florida. They're going to want to uh, challenge them up front. And that means Georgia's offensive line against Florida's defensive line. Um, you know, because on the secondary side and, and the outside linebackers and those types of things, we're getting Zaninga back and, and, and those guys, you know, they're going to be really good, I think, uh, from the outside. Uh, of all levels. But I think if there's an area Georgia can attack, I think it's running the ball. I think it's uh, establishing that physicality. And I think that's what Georgia's going to try to do. I know people uh, are going to want to hear all kind of different things and all kind of different angles. At the end of the day, Georgia fans want to win this game. And I think just first of the week, looking at things, I think this is going to be a game where Kirby Smart's going to challenge his guys to get physical, it's almost going to be one of those man enough games. That Missouri game uh, that year with, with with the Pat Dye comment. Uh, I wonder if Kirby Smart's giving these guys a man enough, uh, you know, comment behind the scenes, and can we go down there and mash Florida? Because uh, I think I like their matchup right now with with Georgia's offensive line and their interior guys. The Pat Dye game was actually 0-2. Um, that was Alabama. 
I know. Uh, the to... old man football game was the Missouri game 2012. Got you. Yes. Yeah. yeah I was uh, at the 02 Alabama game. It was about 9,000 degrees. Uh, Billy Bennett kicked the field goal late. So, yeah. But, but needless to say, kind of a theme. And, and, and that's what I think. I wonder if Kirby Smart's telling those guys, we, we, we got to be, you know, we, we've got to manhandle these guys and let's push them around some. Kip, Monday thoughts. Hit the high spots for me on this one. What, what are your thoughts? Uh, a lot of attention is going to be paid to the fact that uh, Florida is healing up on that defensive line. I mean, I would argue that John Greenard is probably the most important player on that Florida's team. He's taking leadership on that team, and especially on the defensive side of the ball, having him healthy is going to make that defensive front. I mean, the ends get a lot of attention, but Adam Schuler and Kyrie Campbell are, are – you know, they have improved their level of play, and it's really kind of helped the linebackers a little bit, and, and they are getting a little bit more disruption in the middle. So I think that they're they're coming together at just the right time for them coming into this this Georgia game. But for me, I mean, the guy that I'm looking at, it's got to be tight end Kyle Pitts. I mean, he's he is kind of that offense right now. I mean, he's got 35 catches, uh, 391 yards, and four touchdowns. I think he's kind of irreplaceable on that Florida roster. I think just because of the the chemistry that he's developed with Kyle Trask and kind of help becoming his go-to target when they need a key play. You know, you look at that South Carolina game. They had a, a fourth and three. He came down with a, a big grab in, in that game. He's been a mismatch, you know, each week. And so I, I think that if you're Georgia, you're obviously, I mean, you're focusing on him and, and making sure that your game plan is designed to take him out of that passing game so that Kyle Trask is forced to to go through more progressions and the more time allows Georgia, you know, to get in his face and, and affect what he's wanting to do. That's kind of the main thing I'm watching right now because, I mean, whenever Felipe Franks went down, you, you thought, okay, this Florida offense is probably going to take a step back. But I think it's pretty obvious that, uh, you know, they've taken a step forward now and and he's taking care of the football really well. He you know he's progressing every game he's played in. It, it does look like he's correcting mistakes uh, that you've seen from the previous weeks. He's getting better on a week to week basis. So I think his strength as a as a passer is is usually really like helping Dan Mullen open up that playbook and and take advantage of that that deep group of pass catchers that they have. No, I look back and. Pardon me for the weird analogy here, but I think about when I had to take the GRE to get into grad school, and I'd been teaching math for a few years, so I wasn't really worried about math. I was worried about the the language part of it, and I think I'm not, and I think that same way about this game as far as Georgia. Not really concerned about Georgia's defense. I think Georgia's defense, if it comes out and plays well, I, I think it can limit Florida enough to to have a chance to win this game on offense. I look at the offensive side because Florida's defense is is talented and it's good. But I'm going to kind of piggyback off what Rusty had to say, and I'm going to talk about Florida, ninth in the SEC, bottom third in the SEC in run rushing plays, giving up rushing plays of 20 yards or more. When you bump that up to 30 yards or more, Florida ranks 12th in the SEC. The Gators have given up 12 rushing plays of 20 yards or more this season. They've given up seven rushing plays of, of, uh, of uh, 30 yards or more. Uh, they are 
okay when it comes to 10 yard or more rushes, 32 on the year. By comparison, Georgia has given up 19 rushing plays. Now, that's in seven games where Florida's played Nate, so that's something you got to consider there. Georgia has only given up three rushing plays this year of 20 yards or more. Florida's given up 12. So I think that's an area where Georgia has to strike. Now, that, now, don't get me wrong. I still think the passing game, I still think mixing some things up and introducing some new stuff, crossing up some tendencies. Despite what the Kentucky game looked like, when I went back and looked at that game, I thought Georgia did some things in that game, in the passing game, with the limited opportunities that kind of crossed up their tendencies a little bit. You saw George Pickens on the fourth down in the second half. He took a defender with inside leverage. He gave him a quick move outside and crossed his face and ended up with a big catch there that kept a drive going and allowed Georgia to go up 21-0. So I think there are some things that Georgia's going to have to do and be efficient with in the passing game, but the run game is what it's going to work off of. And I know a lot of folks are going to say, well, they're going to put eight, nine, ten men in the box. Guys, that's nothing new. Teams did that to Georgia for 29 straight games the past two years. That's that's how teams have tried to defend Georgia for 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 two years now, and 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 it's not something that this Georgia team can't handle. They've just got to play well in all facets. Jake Fromm's got to kind of get the get the uh, right run play in there. DeAndre Swift's got to make the first guy miss. He's got to beat his guy, the guy that he's going to be responsible for on the play. Georgia's offensive line's got to get a hat on a hat. No blown assignments. No second and fourteens because they didn't block the right guy or two guys blocked one and left one free. Those things just can't happen. Got to be sharp, got to play well, and I think Georgia will be able to get this run game going and they'll be able to work off of it. It's one of those things where two, three years ago, when folks were talking about how much they loved Kirby Smart and how much they loved the way Georgia was playing football, they loved the fact that Georgia ran the ball and they were stubborn with it. And now as time has gone on and teams have had a little bit of success against Georgia and, and maybe things aren't going quite as well, all of a sudden it's the Achilles heel. And I don't necessarily see it that way. If you stay in the middle of the road on this thing, there's nothing wrong with basing it off the run because like Kirby Smart has said more than, more than once, it's a lot easier to hand that thing off than it is to throw it. A lot of bad things can happen when you throw it. And I'm not saying that you have to play an antiquated style of football to be able to do that. You still got to be efficient in the passing game. Those nine yards per pass attempt the past two years for Jake Fromm are pretty impressive numbers. And and I think Georgia's going to have to have an efficient day in that regard to be able to do what it wants to do in, in this game. Uh, Rusty, when you talk about the run game, what, what exactly is it about the run game and Georgia's rushing attack that makes you think that that, that, is, that is the kind of the, the fulcrum of where this game could go? The potential for Georgia, listen, you know, you look at everything and things haven't clicked. Things just haven't clicked. I mean, we could talk the rest of the show and everybody wants to blame James Coley. Maybe it's James Coley. I don't know. Uh, maybe Jake Fromm is just not having a great year. Maybe, you know, the offensive line is, is not as good as people think. Here's what I know. That football teams can change. Okay. And, and I don't care what level you want. We all three of us have played football through high school. And you know that teams you played on got different as the year goes on. And it doesn't mean where Georgia was three weeks ago is where they're going to be Saturday. You know, if they take a step back this week, we'll have another whole thing to talk about. But the potential is there for Georgia to get back to what they want to do, and that is run the ball. And DeAndre Swift, um, you know, Brian Herrion, uh, Zamir White has my confidence. 
you know, they've got some guys back that, uh, you know, I did talk to a source on Friday that told me that Ben Cleveland's kind of been playing through some things that maybe we didn't know about, uh, some injury things. You know, you get this bye week and you get a chance to kind of, you know, reset yourself who you are. Uh, you know, so I look at that, and, and the more I thought about it and, and kind of what you've talked to Jake, and I'll be honest with you, you have said this since this summer when we talked about this Florida game. So I looked, looked into that tonight, and I kind of like that matchup, but the potential for Georgia uh, with their guys and up front to take this game over. Uh, I was at the 2017 Auburn game at Auburn, and Georgia got their, they got their tail whipped. They flat out got whipped up and down the field. Three weeks later, or four, three or four weeks later, it was a different team. Uh, they played with enthusiasm, just different energy uh, in that building that day. But teams can change, uh, and, and they can play. Uh, they can they have time to game plan off a of bye week. Again, I'm not going to shy away from this. This this is one of the most important games Kirby Smart's had that doesn't have that national championship or SEC championship tone to it uh, for a bunch of different reasons. But but this game right here says a lot. If they win this game, they are still the big dogs in the East, regardless of that South Carolina game. Teams are still chasing them, the national perception, all those other things. If they lose this game, it opens up another whole can of podcasts that we'll probably do if that happens. But uh, I just think that Georgia has the potential, man. They've got big-body guys. They've got strong guys. They've got big running backs. They got physical running backs. I think you know the running game is where uh, you know if it's time to fix it. This is the time. With you on that, one hundred percent. And I think that uh, you know, obviously, I had the same kind of the same sort of assessment of Notre Dame, Georgia, and Notre Dame was able to kind of cross that up. And and I think Notre Dame played like a team disrespected, and definitely not how they played against Michigan this past week. Uh, but but I do think that that's something that matches up well with Georgia is that interior defensive line. You know, Kip mentioned a couple of guys here a minute ago, but again, we're talking about a couple of guys. Those body blows, those the, that Kirby Smart philosophy of wanting to wear teams down. No, a lot of folks don't think it's exciting enough, but it's won a lot of games for Georgia, and it's become exciting in a lot of games for Georgia. And I think that, that that's where this one starts. And then you kind of move into where what does it do for the passing game what can Georgia do with the passing game? Even last year, you look at the Florida game, I think Georgia ran the ball every time on its opening drive against Florida. I think it went down and got three points <clears throat> Excuse me, in that game, and uh, eventually it kind of wore Florida down, pulled away late, and, and that's that's where this game starts. And, and I think that's what Georgia has to get established. It's one of those things where I just don't see Georgia winning if it loses the battle on the interior. Uh, it, it lost the battle on the interior against South Carolina, and it lost. And it's just not a team built to lose that battle. And, and that's one they've got to win. Let's take a quick break. And on the other side, we're going to talk about uh, after this weekend, everything we saw – what our top four would be right now if we go to the if Georgia if it were playoff time right now, and uh, then we're going to get into the what Georgia has to do. Georgia wins if against Florida, uh, but before we do that, let's let these folks read some ads. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. 
But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. All right, Kip, I'm assuming... And you can correct me if I'm wrong here that you had a chance to sit around and watch some football this weekend. Who's your top four? Well, my Saturday began with six hours of robotics club competition with my older son. It was really cool to watch and uh, learned a lot about something I would not have been able to do at that age. I got to watch a little bit. I watched a little bit, Jake. I I think, uh, you know, uh, for me, number one, I have LSU right now. I, I think that they should be ranked number one just because of the amount of quality wins. I mean, at Texas, you know, Florida, Auburn, you know, those, those teams were all ranked top 15 when they played. So you got three top three, uh, 15 wins. I mean, no one has that kind of resume. So I, I think that's, that's number one for me. Uh, n- number two right now, you know, I got Ohio State just because the team – from top to bottom, just seems to be complete in all facets of the game. You know, the, the I think that you look at that defense, it, it's it's incredible. And just what they have with Justin Fields and J.K. Dobbins right now, it's 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 really just they, they have somebody in each in each line on both sides of the ball that teams, you know, have to scheme against and it's gonna make them tough to beat down the stretch. Number three, I got Alabama. You know, I, I do think that uh you know, they showed that, you know, even with two off the field, it, granted it was Arkansas, but even, you know, backup quarterback comes in there and, they, you know, they still are, you know, having to take their foot off the gas, not to hit 50 points in that game. Defense, uh, I believe their defense now, something we talked about coming into the season, all of those injuries. We also said, though, they can overcome that, that they're going to have a, an experienced te- defense and, and one that has depth as well toward the end of the season. And it was going to help them overall. And now I think, uh, you know, they had another defensive touchdown. I think so uh, for me, you know, Alabama's still in there at that number three spot. You could argue them in the top two as well. And then number four, it's still it's going to be Clemson. You know, they're not they're not going to have the, the high end wins, you know, but you can't penalize them too much. You know, there's still a playoff team as of right now, unless they falter. And and I think it's still a team that again, come playoff time, you know, if Trevor Lawrence picks his play up, uh, they're going to be a tough out as well in the playoff right now. I think, uh, you know, I'm interested to see where they are when these college football playoff rankings come out. Cause again, they don't have a marquee win and the rest of the schedule isn't going to give them any opportunities for one either. Uh, but at the same time, if they don't lose, then what's the argument not to have them in that top four? 
Noted Appalachian State hater Kip Adams leaves Appalachian State out of his top four. So everybody kind of grab on to that because Appalachian State seven and zero. I might I might would put him in my top four right now. Obviously joking about that. Rusty, where are yours at? I'm, uh, again, I'm I'm assuming you did as you did in the first Georgia bye week and you kind of gorged as you put it on football this weekend. Dylan, it was a pitiful performance yesterday. Uh, my poor couch. Um, just just nobody likes me around here because it started with game day, and I fell asleep at some point in the third quarter of the Oregon game. So somewhere between 9 a.m. and about 1.30 a.m. Sunday morning. That's called a blackout. <laughs> That's a blackout. That's called a blackout. That's not sleep. That's blackout. I tell you, I mean, I was sitting there seriously at like 12 o'clock going, like I'm very much into this Oregon-Washington State game. Like this is this is not ordinary. After watching uh, Wisconsin-Ohio State into Auburn, with uh, LSU into – uh, Tennessee, South Carolina at four into uh, Mike Bobo's game at, at seven thirty, which was a hell of a win for Mike. Uh, into the Oregon game, uh, it, it was it was it was a strong performance from from a football perspective. But uh, you know, I, I go with LSU. I didn't have the I didn't have the you know what to say it a couple weeks ago. I just feel like they can hurt you in so many ways. They can run the ball. They've got. Freak wide receivers, man. Jamar Chase and those guys are—they—they've got some really, really good weapons on the outside. Joe Burrow's making plays defensively. They're, you know, they're who they've always been. God, their secondary has always just got dudes. Stingley, uh, Dale Pitt, all those guys, uh, just very athletic. You could run. Uh, then, 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 you know, I know two is out, but I'm still going to say Alabama because. When you watch Alabama, uh, and, and we haven't seen them get tested yet, uh, and that's not their fault. They're doing what they're – you know, I always go back to my Nick Chubb comparison. Just because Nick Chubb dominated the teams he played in high school doesn't mean that was his fault. He did what he want, you want him to do if you're judging him. He would put three and 400 yards on those teams. Well, Alabama's beating the brakes off of these teams. So that's, that's all they can do is what's in front of them. Uh, I just think Alabama's tremendous on offense. I think Mac Jones had a good game, but you know, right now I'd still say number two, and then Ohio State. Uh, just watching them yesterday, uh, you know, they got after Justin Fields pretty good in the first half, and then they adjusted and made some plays in a bad, bad rainstorm. Uh, I, I'm impressed with them defensively. You know, Chase Young's that guy. You know Jeffrey Akuda is some guys that we we've all we've all covered these guys from the last couple of years, and then they're um, you know J.K. Dobbins are wide receivers. They they've got all the pieces in the puzzle too. So they're going to get tested. They're they're going to play Penn State and maybe a better Michigan team at the end of the year. So um, and they if I'm wrong, they could play Wisconsin again most likely. So uh, you know there's a lot to un- unpack there, and then I think Clemson's kind of. Uh, Clemson, listen, man. They're in a league where they can they can they can work their kinks out and be fresh and be ready. And that that's that's just being truthful. So you know, right now I would go LSU one, Alabama two, Ohio State three, and Clemson four. Could you imagine if it ended today? LSU and Clemson and Atlanta, and then Atlanta, then it would be Alabama and Ohio State and Dallas. You know that that you know I know Georgia fans want Georgia in this thing, but. As far as if you're college football fans, those would be two pretty damn good games based off what we've seen so far. You know, I had a little time to think about this before the show started, and 
I kind of found myself empathizing a little bit, maybe even sympathizing with this college football selection committee because there's so many different angles you can look at this from. You know, what what do you think would happen? Eyeball test, uh, who deserves it? LSU clearly deserves number one, okay? But I'm going to go a different direction because when I look at this thing and I look at the other three teams that I'm putting in, my top four is not the same order as you guys, but the same teams, obviously. I think Ohio State matches up better with LSU, Alabama, and Clemson than anybody in the country because of their ability to put out an elite pass rusher and an elite pass rush in general with some of the best defensive backs in the nation. I mean, Okuda, Wade, Arnett, those guys are ridiculous in the back half. They're ridiculous up front. I, I tweeted it on Saturday. I think Ohio State's the most complete team in the country. They will block you until you don't want to be blocked anymore. J.K. Dobbins will run it, run you into the dirt. Justin Fields is a playmaker, but he's also and, – and this was something I think he probably struggled with this, past, this last year at Georgia in 2018. He's also a really good game manager. And, again, that's a compliment because he, he gets the ball where it needs to go. He doesn't do stupid things with the football. He doesn't hurt them, and he helps them a whole lot. And, and then you look at their wide receiver group and how they make plays. It's just, to me, it's a deadly combination. I know they haven't played the schedule LSU has. Uh, I, I go with LSU number two uh, because they are deserving of the number one spot. I just, I just think with the eyeball test, I think Ohio State's a better team. Um, and, and that's with seeing this Auburn game this past Saturday and watching them gr- just gut out a really physical, grinded-out style football game. Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Tremendous football player, really, really impressed with how far he's come in the past, heck, I don't know, 20 games. Uh, He's a really big-time player. At number three, I'm going to go Clemson, and that's no disrespect to Alabama because I think Alabama, I would really think about having them in the number one spot, but I really want to see what's going on with Tua and what he comes back as if they bring him back too early, if he's ready to come back against LSU, if he comes back against LSU and gets dinged up again, Whatever I think they've got the the tools to be a New Year's Six fringe playoff team without Tua, with Tua, maybe the best team in the country. So I have them at four, and I have Clemson at three, just because I think Clemson, like you said, Rusty, Clemson's going to work those kinks out. And Trevor Lawrence has showed you who he is in crunch time. And and not only that, but third and 14, third and 12, third quarter, game tied, I mean – you want to toss it up to Justin Ross or, or T. Higgins in a double team with a chance to make a play. I'm taking Justin Ross and T. Higgins in that battle every time just because I think seven times out of ten they're going to win it, and, and I like the makeup of that team. Brent Venables has done a tremendous job with that defense, and, and when you give him extra time to prepare, he can do a really good, good job as well. So I'm going Ohio State 1, LSU 2, Clemson 3, and Alabama 4. Uh, for my top four, and I'm I'm really interested to see what the playoff rankings look like when they come out because you know before, especially in regards to Georgia, because if Georgia is able to beat Florida, that's going to be a pretty impressive win on their resume. Wonder if Georgia is going to be in that top six when that rolls around because that'll be that'll be where Georgia wants to be. And and regardless of it, I think that beat Florida, beat Auburn, win the rest of the schedule, beat probably more than likely a number one team in the nation. Uh, in in the 
uh, maybe not in the college football playoff poll, but a number one team in the nation, definitely in the AP or the coaches poll in uh, in Atlanta, and, and Georgia will be in the playoff. But tough road ahead, a lot of hurdles to cover. All right, closing this thing up, last topic we're going to talk about here. Kip, Georgia beats Florida if? If they continue to go back to the outside run game and – also, I mean, that against Kentucky, the weather played a factor there. I mean, we have to be honest, obviously, with the passing game. But they did. I mean, you saw – I think I saw, like, three counterplays in that game. And I couldn't tell you uh, a counterplay in the previous six games. I just could – I don't recall one. Maybe there has been one. But they, they – you know, they got more creative with the run game. And – I think it helped them a lot, and I think at the same time, you take this bye week, and you have to imagine that they're extending that playbook and and, and adding some other elements to it. And one that I I, I would like to see for Georgia is is play action. I mean, it's just something that Jake Fromm is he really. I mean, he's really great at play action, and, and their offense is is definitely done really well in the past under Kirby Smart in, in the play action. And I think right now they're, they're one of the bottom uh, 20, 30 teams in the country as far as how many plays they're running play action out of right now. I think you know only Vanderbilt has run less play action than Georgia this season. So I think schematically you know that's an area of the offense that they have yet to really tap into and maximize. And when you, when you have evidence that, that Georgia – Running play action improves their passing game performance and also, you know, allows that run game to have more room. And then, you know, there's plenty of reason to try to, to, to trot that out there in Jacksonville and, and see what happens. So I think for Georgia, you know, if, if they're performing better offensively and performing more up to what, you know, everyone thought they might be able to do coming in the season, they're going to be tough to beat because I think that defense has what it takes to, you know, to, for the most part, minimize explosive plays from Florida. So, I, I mean, that's got to be the key going into this game is is what they're going to showcase on offense and how effective that's going to be having this week to prepare for it. All right, Rusty, same question to you. Georgia beats Florida if? They can't turn the ball over. I mean, they're just, they're just not built to uh, turn the ball over. You do those four times against South Carolina, you're going to lose. And uh, they've got to to have special teams. I mean, they've got Rodrigo's got to um, you know make his kicks when he gets chances. Jake Cremada's got to be able to flip the field. Every possession in this game, I think these two teams are so close. I think every possession is going to be so important uh, to 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 how you how, how this game unfolds. I, I like Kip's. Uh, analogy there, talking about getting on the outside a little bit. Uh, you know, I want to see a few more screens. I mean, can they? Uh, what did they dial up during the bye week? You know, to get their playmakers, to get DeAndre Swift and those guys the ball a little bit more uh, outside. Are they going to get Dominique Blaylock, who is a guy that I think the third and four, third and five, second four, second five can cause some issues for you. Um, you know. As we take this, I do believe Lawrence Cager will be back this week, which would be a big piece. We'll, we'll double-check that on Monday with Jake uh, because of the 50-50 balls that, that Jake Fromm is so good at throwing. Uh, 
and he's his you know his body is uh, he's tough because these these defensive backs from Florida are physical. They're big guys. One thing we haven't mentioned, and it's usually a little bit overrated when you start talking about those things because they have the Jim Chaney factor going into Tennessee game, but Charlton Warren coming over from Florida, being that DB coach. If there's anything that could give any one of those kids problems, you know, he's going to know. He's going to know, hey, this guy right here has problems on a speed guy. This guy right here has problems. He probably don't want to stick his face up in there when we run at him. Uh, you know, he's going to know those little bitty things that, 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 that might be a little bit, you know, something that may not get touched on this week. But that could be a, a, a big piece of the puzzle, too, on a play or two here and there. But I really just think Georgia establishing who they are uh, being able to open things up and that play action comes base when you can run the ball. When those guys have to put an extra man, they have to commit to putting an extra guy in the box. That's when those things open up. And and, and like Kip said, the, you know, the play action pass has uh, been a thing that Jake Fromm has killed. And listen, Jake Fromm was really good against Florida last year. Um, either seven or eight or eight for nine on third downs. Jake, you may know that, but um, you know, that was his best game, in my opinion. I mean, he he made some big-time throws. And you start thinking about that as a quarterback. I'm sure he's confident going down there, knowing he played great against Grantham and those guys last year. Uh, regardless of what you think on the wide receivers and that type of thing with the different players, Ty Grantham's going to bring pressure. But he's also going to respect Jake Fromm because Jake Fromm definitely – uh, has the mind to be able to put you in situations where if you bring the blitz, you're going to leave some one-on-one things. Uh, Grantham loves to bring heat, but I wonder how much he's going to bring on Jake Fromm where he's going to say, our guys can cover your guys. Very interesting how Florida plays it with Grantham uh, because you know his style is bring it. He will bring pressure, a lot of it, but he also may back off this week and go, you know what, we're going to rush three or four. We're going to cover your guys and make you go the length of the field and drive to beat us. Uh, so I just think Georgia Georgia runs the ball, controls the turnovers, they win this game. With a different group of wide receivers, Jake Fromm was seven of eight last year against Florida on third down, six conversions. I think five of them were on third and long, threw three touchdown passes sure. on on third down. So he was he was money between the the Florida and the uh, and the Kentucky game. I think he was nine of ten for uh, for 126 yards and four touchdowns. Uh, so, I mean, and it had three more with his legs. Uh, only reason I know that is because I wrote about it here recently. i got a stat for you guys, and it's a pretty incredible stat. Uh, and it's one that, that for some reason it just kind of popped into my head, and I started looking at it uh, whenever, Rusty, whenever you were talking. Under Kirby Smart, Georgia has, every time Georgia has averaged eight yards per pass attempt, they've won every single time. That's going back to 2016. Every single time Georgia has averaged at least eight yards per pass attempt, it's one. The lowest, the, the highest yards per pass attempt Georgia's had and lost is 7.5. And, uh, and that was last year, I believe, against Alabama. Yes, it was. It was last year against Alabama, lost 35-28 with 7.5 yards per pass attempt. Now, that's probably a little weird because the yards per pass attempt went way down on Georgia's desperation last-minute drive to try and come back and tie that game. But the point stands, and that's where I'm going with this, average eight yards per pass attempt in this game, basically be efficient through the air, 
and Georgia wins this game. Now, obviously, if Georgia throws, if Georgia goes out and runs for 320 yards against Florida and it has six yards per pass attempt, Georgia's shown that they can win that way too. But they've shown that they really don't have a good chance of losing if they're averaging eight yards per attempt. And and I know that that may seem like a weird stat to some folks that don't read uh, read Dogs 24-7 or aren't a VIP member, VIP member at Dogs 24-7, but yards per pass attempt is a non, non-skewable stat. It's not one of those where, you know, if you look at yards per game and see a team's throwing for 270 a game and then you look at the fact they're throwing it 45 times a game, well, that's not exactly where you want to be. And uh, Georgia wants to throw it somewhere between 20 and 30 times a game, maybe 18 and 30 times a game, and and they want to average eight yards per pass attempt. And, and if they do that, if it does that against uh, against Florida, I think it wins because, you know, I, I before the season started, I had this week, I had this bye week, the second bye week tabbed. I figured first part of the season, run game would carry the team because of all the new wide receivers. Even when you look at Lawrence Cager. And, and his emergence in the offense, first year in the system. Demetrius Robertson had some experience. Karis Jackson had some experience. Tyler Simmons had some experience. But that was basically it. Uh, when, when you look beyond that, you know, George Pickens and, and Dominic Blaylock, freshman, and, and Lawrence Cager, a first-year guy with Georgia, I thought that the middle part of the season, the passing game would start to get a little bit going. was kind of wrong on that. Or, or completely wrong on that because it really had it really struggled in two of those three games. Now, one of them, from what we saw, Tennessee, South Carolina, that that the Vols are are a pretty decent football team when they play well. It's just a matter of getting that group to play well, and and they did against South Carolina, and and you know special teams defense had a pretty good day. But now, second bye week, you've had two full weeks at at this point in the year to right your wrongs doctor as Kirby Smart said last week uh, so now these freshmen aren't freshmen anymore they've got seven games under their belt they're 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 midway between freshmen and sophomore and, and Georgia has to get a little bit more out of those guys they've got to win some battles for the 50-50 balls they got to run the right routes and and do some of the things that they're capable of doing in this game if they do that Georgia averages eight yards per pass attempt I see the Bulldogs winning this game any parting shots for you guys I take that as a no. <laughs> Early in the week, man. Early in the week. We got all week, bro. We're oh, man. we Too many words to say on this. Rusty, we're going to try to do three of these this week? We're going to do this one and two more? Let's do three. Big what hey. yep, we try to do two more this week? Uh, sure, guys. Let's do let, Let's crank it up. Let's crank we're, it up. We're going to do one on, we're gonna do one on Tuesday or Wednesday just on barbecue. <laughs> What if let's do a deal? Georgia wins this week. We'll do we'll do Larry Mitonson stories next Sunday. <laughs> you, you, you keep holding that carrot over them, man. You keep holding that carrot. That's rough, I, man. I'm, I'm gonna be dead man walking one day over I that. Think, I think we probably all three got some pretty good ones uh, as far as that one goes. But yeah, I, th- I think after I think after Missouri and, and they're showing against Kentucky. Uh, 29-7 over the weekend. I, I, I think that game's looking a little less intimidating for Georgia, although we've learned real quick, like with this Georgia team, they got to bring their A game every week to to beat these teams, and and if they do, they can beat them up pretty good. Jake, I got uh, For this episode, Jake, go ahead, question. bud. Will they announce a Missouri game time on Monday? Yes, they will. Yeah, well, we're expecting the Missouri game time somewhere around noon tomorrow. Okay, good deal. All right, guys, that's all we got for today. We'll be back two more times this week. 
we've we I think we've all agreed agreed upon it. It's a uh, it's a unanimous decision. So we'll talk to you guys two more times this week. But that's all we got for this show. I'm Jake Rowe with Dogs 24/7. Kip Adams and Rusty Mansell also of Dogs 24/7. And this has been the Junkyard Dogcast. You guys take it easy. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.